Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. Thank you for normalizing. So this is the title of one of the reviews that we are choosing this week for the Optimal Body Membership One Month Free. This is from Audrey Bars. Not really quite sure how to say it. So please reach out to her at jen at docgenfit.com so that you can get access into the program. But her review says, amazing and positive, Doc Jen. Thank you for normalizing and talking about scoliosis. I detest looking at my x-rays and they always make me cry. I was a ballet dancer my whole life and I type A personality. So not having a perfect body always makes me cry, especially as I age. Having said that, thank you for normalizing and bringing some positivity to the imperfect body. I appreciate you. Oh, well, I appreciate you. I mean, I understand growing up as a gymnast being type A and seeing this on an x-ray can be traumatizing. So Thank you for listening. Thank you for leaving the review. And don't forget, guys, there is only one more week that we are choosing a review to get access into the Optimal Body for one month free. So go leave your review so we can choose you next week. Welcome back to another PT Pearl. So today we're excited because we're talking all about FAI, a very common question we get based on hip impingement, also known as femoral acetabular impingement. Nailed it. (laughs) Such a mouthful. Um, We're excited about this one because again, we do get a lot of questions and we've worked with clients, both of us ourselves, in terms of people who have experienced FAI and who have had surgery and were then helping. So we want to go into both cases when this presents the different types and we'll hopefully break it down for you so you start to understand it in your body. Yeah. So the first thing is, I mean, everyone will say, what is this pinching in the front of my hips? Or what, you know, why am I feeling this? And they might go get an image and say, oh, you have FAI or this femoral acetabular impingement, this impingement in the front of the hips. And what we kind of want to dive into is what that is first, and then why it might be happening within our bodies. So do you want to dive a little bit into what FAI is and the different types? I mean, sure. So we have different types that are called cam lesions or pincer. And all that means is a different way that the ball and the socket is kind of coming in and could be affecting the labrum. So we have this thing called a labrum, which lies inside of the socket. So this is the acetabulum. And when the socket itself kind of gets deformed or a little bit smaller, that's when it can kind of start to rub and everything as you go into like flexion positions or lunging, squatting, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And it gets into what's called a pincer uh, deformity. Uh, Or we have the other one. Yeah, I like to think of the pincer. So here's your acetabulum and it's starting to have some growth maybe on one of these rims and it looks more like a pincer, like it's pinching into that femur. Yeah. The other one is a cam lesion. And so this is where the head of the femur then starts to get a little deformed and can start to rub into different places again. Um, All of them starting to develop different growths based on the pressures that they're kind of putting into the areas in that ball and socket joint. Um, And definitely 
impingement onto the labrum. So that layer inside the hip socket that kind of gets pinchy because of what's happening within the socket or within the head of the femur. Yeah. So that's where we start to get these symptoms in the front of the hips of pinching. And a lot of people will then start to complain of, oh, I get this popping in my hip when I do different squats or do different core exercises and stuff. And so how do we test? Should we show them how we test this thing? Yeah. Sweet. So I'm going to test Jen to see if she tests positive using what's called a fader test or flexion adduction internal rotation are the three things that we're going to go into in this. So I just bring her knee up, kind of put it into this flex position, and then I'm going to slowly go kind of rotate her leg out and go through this inner and you get a little uncomfortable there, mm -hmm. huh? a little hesitation. So now I'm going to jam it way harder into that. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. You'll notice pretty quick if you come up into this position, you can even do it yourself. I test fairly positive sometimes on both of these if I uncontrollably push that knee into that flexion, yeah. adduction, internal rotation. And just what that's meaning is when we get into that position, we might be getting a little bit of this rubbing or this uncontrolled, you know, pushing into that extreme range of the hip, right? And so what exactly does that mean and why is that happening? And I think that's the next thing that we kind of want to dive into. So that's something you can kind of like try with your friends at home, see who tests positive. <laughs> but again, a positive test in this isn't super specific, meaning if you test positive, that doesn't necessarily mean you would have a clinical FAI. You know, they say that clinical FAI only is considered clinical if you're having symptoms again throughout the day, not only if you test positive in this test. All right, so this is a great little test that clinicians use just to see if we're having that clinical sign or a positive clinical test, um, if there might be a presence of FAI. But the thing that we wanna be aware of is this isn't a super specific test. So this test alone isn't what's going to help tell us, oh, you have FAI. I think one of the papers we looked at said a good way to determine if someone has FAI is clinical signs, like positive testing like that, image, positive image um, findings, and symptoms being like you get this, this pain after doing different activity and stuff. Yeah. And Please don't like go just try that with your friends by like jamming because if you don't, if you're not experienced with how to move the body, that's why yeah. it could be a little dangerous. Um, so, but, but if you do go and you see a therapist and they're like, oh yeah, that's, that indicates that, you know, we can't necessarily say it's impingement or FAI. That's all we're saying because you also need imaging and you also need to feel it and have those symptoms for a period of time. Um, the other thing with it, we looked at studies as well. Um, and there was one study that looked at over 2000 hips and out of the 2000 hips, um, 33% of this, the study load was athletes. But what I like about it is that it's not all athletes because a lot of FAI yeah. studies out there are based on athletes. Obviously the way that they're positioning and moving, and we're kind of talking to that in Dom's story a little bit, but basically when we're looking at the when they were looking at this, they could see the amount of people that were asymptomatic, meaning no pain, but definitely presented on the image as if they have FAI. And it was 37% had CAM deformities. So remember, that's the head of the, the femur. 
Um, 67% have pincer. So that means the yeah. socket had some stuff going on in there. Um, and then 68% had labral issues. Didn't exactly say what it was, uh, but labral things were showing up in the imaging as well. But these are asymptomatic people out of over 2,000 hips. Yeah, and those are the studies. I mean, this is a study with a large volume of people, relatively younger, but included a lot of just general population. And so the thing that we love and you're going to continue to hear us say is that the image isn't the only thing that we get to look at when it comes to diagnosing these things or figuring out how we're going to approach them. And then also, a lot of the studies we looked at started going into surgery. And there's a couple different ways. Now they almost do these exclusively arthroscopically, meaning they don't completely open you up. They just have small incisions and they can just kind of do it less invasively. And the thing that a lot of these studies showed is that, okay, initially, on initial follow-up, follow-up up to about two years, they'll see some positive, you know, findings with decrease in symptoms and increase in function. Um, what was it? One of the systematic reviews, meaning it had a lot of studies that looked at, said anywhere from 60% to 95%. That might be a rough estimation based on what I'm remembering from the study, but in the 60s to 90%, it was like 68 to 95%, I think, had positive findings in short-term follow-up. But then the next line in the study said, we need further long-term follow-ups to determine you know, the state of that hip down the road and if it had different changes throughout. Because one of the things I like to say about these different types of deformities, which I don't even like using that word, is they develop over time. Mm -hmm. So if we just go in, change something, have a quick symptom change, and then say, okay, just go about and live your life. If we don't change anything else, what is going to happen in that hip over the next 10 to 15 years? Exactly. So generally, even if we do a surgery to alleviate some short-term pain, that usually needs to be also followed up with different rehab or different movement training so that we're not continuing to put pressure in the fronts of these hips to kind of re-perpetuate that issue that we had in the first place. So as we said, we've worked with clients before who have had FAI. Um, I know in particular, I've worked with more women in this case who have had surgery and then come to me for physical therapy and are confused why they still have pain even though they had the surgery. And that's where we cannot just say that surgery is always going to magically fix something because if you had those movement patterns that were a little bit dysfunctional or stressors that were happening in your life that you weren't addressing prior to having the surgery and then you have it and you go right back into normal everyday life, lots of stress, um, not managing things within your environment well and then still not addressing different movement patterns that can improve within your body of course you're still going to have pain and we move through a lot of different mobility and stability type of exercises that really helped to get these women to overcome this pain and granted it could have been the time it could have been movement patterns it could have been other things but i like to think as well you were still in pain if you didn't have to have the surgery, we could have possibly worked with this prior as well and created some change. Now, I do want to put out the disclaimer that for some people, the surgery does help and the surgery does fix it. So it's not that we're against surgery. We're just for getting your body looked at as a whole first. And where you say fix it, I think fix it means the symptoms have yes. gone away. Yes. And again, a lot of the studies we look at are 
shorter term. So again, is that going to last? And that's where what we're saying is maybe starting to look at a few different things will help it last longer and will help you balance that system around the hips so you don't continue to put the same pressures in the same places. Um, I think in my case, I, um, I definitely get some of that feeling in the front of the hips, especially during times that I'm not exercising as much, that I'm not as active, that I'm not doing my mobility work as much. And I find that a lot with athletes, specifically football, hockey players, people who are always in this forward crouch position using their hips a lot, all of a sudden we stop working out or exercising at the end of college athletics and we lose a lot of strength and then our hips even more so just rest into that terminal range when we do different movement patterns. And so then I have people who come in and we just start going to some of the basic strength things they used to do. We balance up their core and then they notice how quickly they can get themselves out of that pain and symptom again just by giving attention to that area. Yeah. So. I even remember, um, it just like came to me, which I haven't thought about in a long time, but I went on a really long 30 mile bike ride with my family and I could barely go by the end. And it was, was I wasn't tired. I was like, I feel so pathetic. My little cousins are beating me right now. <laughs> but it was because my hips were in so much pain. And I used to get a lot of hip flexor injuries and things um, when I was a gymnast, even more so that I couldn't do a split leap on one side. I had to do it on the other side because my wow. hip was giving me so much pain. And so even coming out of gymnastics, again, going on that really long bike ride, I remember doing a mud run and I couldn't even lift my legs out of the mud by the end because again, that hip flexion was just killing me. But then I started to work on hip mobility. I know this sounds crazy. I was a gymnast, but it doesn't mean ju just because I could do splits forward and backward, I didn't have rotation in my hips. And this is, this is the key that unlocks the power within your hips. <laughs> like I swear, if you actually start to address not just hip flexor stretch and not just hamstring stretch, but actually the rotation within your hips, I remember then biking for a long period of time. I was in Chicago with my friends and we were like, oh, we're going to take bikes around everywhere. And I'm like, oh, okay, let's see if I could do this. Like, not sure how it was going to handle. And I was able to do it the entire way because I was working on my hips prior. And I was like, oh my God, I could bike ride the whole time. I can walk with no pain. Like, this is incredible. And it's so crazy when you actually start to implement these things. Weird. It works. Yeah. And that's where, for me, some of the things that I needed to work on and pay more attention to and change, especially in football, I was always kind of dumping my pelvis forward. We have a PT Pro on anterior pelvic tilt where we talk about, and when I was in anterior pelvic tilt, I was more so just resting on that hip socket like we were talking about and using my hips for stability, not because they were strong, my legs were very strong, but because I wasn't keeping stable in my foundation being my core and just letting my hip, my femur rest into the acetabulum causing femoral acetabular impingement. And so when I come around and do some good, you know, core stability exercises, and then work hip mobility. My hip internal rotation is awful. We've showed the 90-90, haven't we? We have. We've talked about it. I don't know if we've shown oh, it, actually. Oh, we, we might not. You want to show it here? Okay, I'll just show it so, here. So, yeah, Jen gets into this a lot easier and quicker than I do. But where I struggle in the back with this internal rotation, we want 90 degree all the way. So, 90 degree in our knee, in our hip, all the way to the front leg. And we want to try and sit into that back 
have our sit bone touch to the ground. And if that's really tough, you can always prop a little pillow under there, a yoga block under there. Um, yeah, or just kind of lean away from it a little bit, but not trying to compensate through your core, keeping a good foundation, breathing, and just trying to sit down into there. Yep, sometimes it helps to kind of <laughs> massage into that muscle just to tell it, it's okay. I know that this might be a freaky position for us. Then the other thing about the hip 90-90 is you can lean forward into this knee where Jen My has a little more... My really sore today too. <laughs> yeah, that big workout yesterday. Oh. But she can lean a little more into that external rotation, which is actually where Jen is a little more limited in her external rotation. It's probably still better than mine, but for her, that's where she has more limitations. Yeah, my knee doesn't even like lay down on the floor where some people will come into this and their knee will just flop to the floor. And I see that a lot usually if you are a yogi or a crossfitter. So crossfitters actually have really good external range of motion, I find, because they do pigeon pose so much. It's like been hammered in, you need external rotation when you squat. So I'm going to do a lot of pigeon pose. But here's the thing that we forget is that when you're going into hip flexion, so think of going into a squat as that leg is coming up, your, your, your uh, joint, your hip socket is going to move back. And the other way that it moves in back in that sense is in hip internal rotation. So if we're lacking hip internal rotation, we're not getting good arthrokinematics within that hip joint socket itself. And that's where it could a lot of times, especially when someone's coming down into a squat and they're complaining of hip pinching in the front. One, we would say, go back to the breath and the core, listen to the anterior pelvic tilt PT pearl that we did on this. And then two, go into this hip 9090 and start to just spend time in hip internal rotation. How much time? Spend time every single day. Like, yeah, we'll say, you know, I, I don't like the whole 30 seconds. It needs to be a lot longer than that, guys. Like at least a minute, give me a minute, give me two if you can, but give me time every single day. That is what's most important. It's not how long do I hold? How many times a week? Just give me time. Consistency is always the key. Yeah. No, it's when we do that thing consistently and give it time. And when we're in that, do it a little bit more mindfully than waiting for that minute to get up. That's when we're really going to teach those muscles. Okay, we're safe sitting here and it's okay to sit here. And then we can start working into more active range, supporting through that range so that when we do approach those flexion and internal rotation positions, it's not as freaky for our body because we're in control there. We're not just letting it rest into that. So those are a couple things that you can try out, start to look at um, and explore just to see how that hip rotation and core stability might be the tools alone to help you start feeling like you can make progress in some of those symptoms. Totally. And we go into this a lot in the optimal body as well. Like the core for optimal body always starts at core one, which is the breath and how you're using that pelvic floor and that diaphragm with the transverse abdominus to actually create what you want in hip flexion. Because we don't want when that hip flexion is dominated with that hip flexor, that's where we're going to get that pinching the pain and all that other stuff. So... Yeah, the core one exercises are where I get my most work and start to realize, oh, this is where I need to stay when I progress core two, three, and four. And I can quickly realize when I start to fall out of that and need a, okay, let's come back to the basics and now progress again. So check that out. And we're glad that you guys joined us for another PD Pearl. Yeah. All right, before hopping into our next guest, Jen and I just want to say, 
Thanks for trusting us with your feet. We've been having so many people try out the Vivo Barefoot shoes and we're getting such amazing feedback. It's seriously the only thing that Jen and I wear every day. And right now, Vivo has a 100-day trial period where you can try any pair of their shoes to make sure that you absolutely love them. Go click the link in the show notes and try out any pair of shoes that you want with 15% off your order We've had a code change, so make sure you use code T-O-B so that you get 15% off. That is T-O-B, like the Optimal Body Podcast. And so now we are so excited to bring on our next guest, Mike Idala, who's a great friend of both of ours. And this guy has background in Olympic weightlifting. He has background as a yoga teacher, background in training elite level athletes. And we're super excited to bring him on, mostly because... Yeah. Well, Mike and I have been friends for, I think, seven years, maybe even longer. Um, And even though we met doing crazy acro yoga stuff and Mm -hmm. I did handstands on his hands and the craziest things you can imagine, the one thing that's kept Mike and I together as friends is his well, who he is as a person and his mindset. Mm -hmm. And we're really going to dive in how mindset serves the physical body on this podcast. And so I really encourage you to stay open, to take on these practices and to see Mm -hmm. and explore it in your own life, in your own body, because it can change the physical game and the pain that you have in your body completely. So let's dive in. I am so excited to have my brother, Mike, (laughs) on the podcast. Uh, We have known each other now for seven years. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. I think so. Um, Mike and I met doing acro yoga together. Uh, We kind of slid into each other's DMs very (laughs) friend-like because we were both in relationships and just started to hang out as as friends as explorers of movement i would say and i'm just so grateful that we've continued to have our friendship that we have and just continuing to know the person who you are and the heart that you have i'm excited for people to be able to dive into this podcast in terms of your mind like Obviously, people can go check you out, Mike.Idala on Instagram and see all the crazy physical things that you do with your body Mm -hmm. from extreme, (laughs) challenging um, handstand type things to lifting the heaviest weights ever. Like, I don't even understand how you (laughs) do it, but... But I'm way more interested in the deep dives of our conversations and the mindset that you have behind everything. Um, So can you just quickly tell people like a little background of what you do, who you are? Yeah, totally. Well, thanks so much for having me guys. And uh, I'm really excited to dive into this mindset stuff as well. Um, I've been a coach for over a decade. That's the only job I've ever had. It it started off as uh, working with professional athletes and then it went into teaching yoga. And now it's a real holistic approach to really helping people not only work out more efficiently and effectively, but also work in on some of these softer practices that um, are really what all of the physical training is all about. So that's that's what I currently do on my day-to-day now. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, I know that you have a background a little bit in athletics too, if I'm correct. You played college football? Yep. I played college football at a Division three school in New York. Um, and then afterward, I mean... I've been an athlete my whole life and I love uh, just exploring all different um, 
avenues that that can provide. Definitely. And I like uh, kind of how you talked about you trained professional athletes kind of first and then got into this yoga bit. And especially as a, I was a college football athlete myself, what wanted to make you make that dive into yoga and exploring some different ways of training your body? Or did you already have a little bit of a yoga background before that? Yes, I I was fortunate to be able to work with uh, the New York Jets and then help train guys for the NFL Combine, like work with the top athletes in the world um, when I was starting out. And what I was always interested in was the, like the reason why people do things the way they do. And to be honest, eventually it kind of became boring for me to just help people get bigger, stronger, faster, get bigger contracts, stuff like that. And, um, a heartbreak actually led me into yoga where I was like, you know what? I heard about this yoga stuff. Um, I want to go try. I know I need to, um, slow things down and, uh, walked into my first yoga class and was hooked ever since. And then, uh, as you know, some of you have might have practiced yoga. No, um, really once you, once you start going, you really start to feel yourself soften on the mat and, um, things that you might have not thought about before start to come up. And I'm a very inquisitive person. So I was addicted to that right off the bat. What was that addiction that you were kind of were like, were you seeking something? And did it keep you almost addicted into a different kind of place? You know, like in terms of mindset, like, oh, I need more of this. I need more of this. Like, do you would you say that was a healthy addiction or was it something that you were feeling like you were trying to fill in the blanks or fill in the holes within yourself? Yeah. So I wasn't addicted in a way of like, I need to burn these calories or I need to do these poses. I was more addicted to learning about myself. And um, that's something that I've just been doing for a long time. And athletics has really shown me that through practice. Whereas you'll work on a skill, you'll fail at the skill, and then you come back and try something different the next time. And then you start to learn a little bit about yourself. And yoga is a great way because there's no, no one is perfect at yoga. Um, and that's why, that's why it drew me to it was that there was always something to practice, whether it was a deeper connection with my breath or a different connection with maybe how I was gazing at the mat or if my eyes were open or if they were closed or different positions that I was in with my body. And um, yeah, I was addicted to learning. Mm. So when you talk about yoga, I kind of mentioned, especially coming from a football background or people who do different types of physical training, what would you tell somebody when they say, oh, yoga, I don't do that? Or, you know, mobility work, yeah, that's just not my thing. What kind of things do you tell people to encourage them to be maybe open to trying some of these different things because it might show us different things about our body and help us learn different things? Yeah, I mean, I try to be a, I try to lead by example. So, like, I like lifting, you know, 400 pounds over my head in the gym and then doing a shavasana at the end of the workout or like a little meditation in the corner and usually that, that catches people's eye because they're like, what are you doing, man? Like, you're lifting all this weight, but then what's this like airy-fairy shit that you're doing over here? And that kind of gives me the end to, to be like, oh, this is why I can do that because I can kind of focus. I try to relate something to that person or what their goals are or what they're trying to achieve. Um, and then I can be like, oh, well, yoga or mobility or, or this is going to help you in that regard. Mm-hmm. like to be a mirror for those people to maybe see those openings. I love that. How do you really get people to like set up goals based on mindset? Like where do people start if 
they just look at a crazy skill or they scroll through your page and they're like, I want to do that. Like, how do you think people should start to approach the mind and how we set up goals and expectations? Yeah, great question. Um, I like to start with language. So just how you're speaking with yourself and then how you're speaking in um, everyday life and taking ownership over the, the words that you use and then how they show up in the actions um, of your life. And one of my favorite ways of doing this is by uh, usually if someone's really anxious or if they're constantly seeking outside of themselves for something else, they're using the word should or must a lot. And these are what I call gray words where they don't really have, uh, they're made up. Like you're either reading it off the internet of, you know, I should be doing this or I should be eating healthier. Or I should be getting more sleep, drinking water, stretch, like whatever they are. And when you eliminate that word should and you input the word want or don't want, you immediately gain ownership over your life and over the actions that you take. And that small shift can then um, insert into all different areas of your life. Yeah. Totally stole my next question because that was, I think, the first time I ever met you. I heard you talk about that and I, and I wrote that down. I'm like, I love that. And since then, I've kind of been trying to avoid that myself. You know, it's a practice I've implemented. And another story about when you talk about language, the first time, actually, when we were in Denver training with you, I just, one thing that you did, you went up to, I think it was a skill you're doing with Jen, a crazy acro skill that just wows me. And you said, all right, you're going to be up there. You're going to get on my arm. I'm going to pop you up. You're going to kick your legs. You know, there was a few cues that, and then we're going to nail it. And you guys went up and did it. And I'm like, gosh, that's so cool that you, you know, premonist that with the language and the energy. So um, the should die is one that I've always kind of gone back around to. Yeah, the shitting is, it's so huge. I mean, um, your thoughts obviously really create your reality. And if you really believe in yourself and you have that self-esteem and you believe in someone else and you communicate that, you're investing in the bank account that is like your spirit. And then you can take that and put it into anything that you want. And like with Jen and I doing the acrobatics, it just happened to be that type of skill. But it was because of her own practice of self-work and introspection mixed with my own practice. Then we could link those two together and then do something pretty cool um, physically. Yeah. And I think what I love about that as well is that should is like a judgment, you know, and it's like a comparison, like, oh, I should be doing this based on like what you said, someone else is saying, or you're, you're predicting what someone else is thinking, and you got that from something else, which is then a judgment on yourself. And I think when you put the power back into I want to or choose to, there's no longer a judgment tied to that, that is based on solely your own choice within something rather than a judgment or a comparison of someone else. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, in today's world, like there's so many shoulds and so many people wanting to tell you what to do. And it can, if you're listening to that, it takes away from your own inherent, um, like internal wisdom of really what uh, is going to make you really happy. And I feel bad because I see so many people like seeking and searching and and trying all these things that other people are telling them to do. And um, the more time, like one of my biggest messages is to try to get people to just slow down and be quiet so that you can actually listen 
to what um, the universe, God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, um, has to really tell you. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think there are a lot of people out there that might start resonating with a message like this. And it may be the first time they've heard of something like that, right? So this whole should diet thing, it sounds easy. Let's replace should with I want or I choose. How do you approach clients and and teach them how to start actually implementing something like this and holding themselves accountable to it? Yeah, so I do like a should fast where you just don't use that word. And if you catch yourself using it, uh, you journal about it. So uh, you just keep a little journal with you and write down, okay, I shoulded when I um, decided to meet up with my friend, right? I was like, well, they were there for me at this time and I should be there now, even though I really want to you know, just stay home and take a nap because I'm tired, I'm going to go do it anyway. And just starting to get people to become aware of when they're doing that. And then working on um, allowing themselves really the just allowing themselves to make the decision um, to insert want or choose into their life, which can be really hard, because especially depending on where you're from, like, Dom, I know you're from Minnesota. The, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the, that selfish word, it's like the last thing you want to be called. And in a lot of ways, and this is a little bit can be controversial, but in some aspects, I think being selfish is sometimes the most selfless thing you can do because you're being really clear and honest with that other person on what it is that you want or don't want to do. 100%. And I think opening up people to allowing them to journal, (laughs) like people don't realize how impactful that can be. And when you just start to write, you'll start to discover things that you might not have realized, oh, this was actually coming from that. Or I'm saying this way, this because I am feeling like I need to or should exactly like the you should be doing, you know. And I love one of my favorite lines in uh, friends is phoebe actually classic (laughs) i know here i go talking about friends friends references (laughs) but but what she does when ross is like oh do you want to come help like pack up my stuff and help me move and she's like oh i really wish i i could but i just don't want to (laughs) and like no shame no hurt like everyone's like okay cool and i'm like i want to embody that more i want to embody like oh i really wish i could be there for you but right now i need to do this for me you know, and, and you own that and it doesn't become a judgment. It's not a judgment on you. It's not a judgment from the other person. It is, it is just, you know, your truth and you standing into your truth more to be respectful of yourself. Yeah, totally. It is really, I love that you said that because at the end of the day, when you are shooting or when you're doing something you don't want to do, it's indirect um, opposition with you loving yourself or having that self-worth or that self-value. And the example I always like to use is, you know, if I invited you guys to my birthday party, but you really didn't want to come, I wouldn't want you to just come anyway and just like half-ass be there because you think you should be there. I'd want you to go do something else that you really wanted to do. And I think when people think about it that way, it's like, one of the um, aspects that's getting a little bit lost in humanity is presence and like really being able to be there with someone. And a big reason for that is a lot of this shooting and a lot of people feeling overwhelmed. And when you can really just try to clear away a bunch of that BS and get really dialed in with 
what it is um, that you're interested in and where and who and what you want to be, you know, people are going to gravitate towards that so much because you're really, a, you're a clear vessel for them. And um, that's something that uh, is very attractive. Yeah. I think that something that attracted me to wanting to spend more time and learn more about you and what you do is exactly that. You know, I saw somebody who was very true into who he was and was continuing to live that way and that the people around you would just resonate with that as well. So that's something I appreciate about you um, and kind of transitioning out of all this shooting. Um, I want to move into something that, you know, you mentioned a little bit when you dove into yoga was because getting out of a relationship and something that I see more and more from you is just how vulnerable and open you're able to be with yourself and with others. And that's not easy for a lot of guys to do, especially guys that come from this more testosterone driven world, whether it's from sports or from wherever that's coming from in our past. Um, how did you navigate this journey of becoming more vulnerable with yourself and with other people and then now coaching other people into that? Yeah, I think um, I've always focused on trying to take the biggest, the most perspective that I could take. So like constantly zooming out on um, what is going to, like what's my goal and then what's going to be the fastest way that I can get to the goal. And I use a basketball analogy Whereas like, I remember in high school, one of my friends missed like a game winning layup and all of my teammates were getting on. I'm like, how the heck could you miss that? It's the easiest shot da, da, da. we just lost the game. And I like quickly ga gathered everyone in and I'm like, man, like this isn't going to help him have more confidence to make a layup the next time. Like all of this is just wasted energy towards the goal of trying to win a championship this season. So let's focus on like building each other up and understanding obviously he wasn't trying to miss the layup like there wasn't anything malicious here um but the way that you can gain perspective on maybe the bigger picture is going to be crucial and you know with vulnerability um when you are very vulnerable with someone then it's going to allow them to be vulnerable with you and you guys are going to be able to connect better and for all types of relationships they're all built on um how the, your connection and how that connection feels and with people feel safe or if they feel supported and being able to be vulnerable is a fast track to that true depthful connection. One of the things that I really admired about you when we first met even, um, and obviously I knew <laughs> your relationship a little bit because I was also friends with uh, who you were in a relationship with. So I got to see different aspects of it, which I thought was cool. And one of the things that I really admired about what you did and what you brought into that relationship was radical honesty. And I think with that radical honesty brings vulnerability, right? Because if I'm going to be radically honest about how I feel in different situations or how I view different situations or how I'm feeling in this moment, that is a very open place to be. So how do you kind of coach people into that when there's a lot of fear? There's a fear of judgment. There's fear of how someone will take it. There's fear of hurting someone's feelings. There's a lot of fear that comes with vulnerability. So how do you kind of coach someone into starting to create this within their life or their relationships? Yeah, I think um, 
with all, the reason that there's all of that fear is because and some level there is a lack of self-esteem or self-worth. So it's like, I'm going to be honest, this person's going to leave me. And then I don't know what I'm going to do because maybe I'm not okay being alone. So what I try and do is help people become okay with just who they are and just by themselves. And from there, you'll have developed a super solid foundation that you're only going to want to be around people that are going to support you on who you truly are. So the idea of radical honesty is to remove this like proverbial mask that we all wear because we want other people to like us. And when you really love yourself for who you are without the mask, then you're going to want other people to love who you are without the mask. And you're going to want to be able to share as vulnerably as possible with them. And you're going to want to see for who they truly are behind this, their own mask that they're putting out. And then there's a ton of different ways on communicating with tact and care and compassion for you know, how to have those conversations. But the first step is just building your, your self-worth and your self-value up um, as much as you can. Yeah, I think that a lot of people sometimes when they have the most difficulties, and I mean, speaking about the current state where a lot of people are spending time inside, we're kind of forced to face that elephant in the room and it might freak us out because we just had a lot of other things that may have been distracting us from, from doing that. So how does tapping into this open up you know someone's body or help them maybe feel better or does it even relate to tightness and pain and and symptoms in the body otherwise yeah i mean i love that you asked that question and it completely does um you know our issues are in the tissues as they say so um the classic example is like you think of the big bodybuilder guy who just is doing tons of bench press and push-ups and just wants to like literally create a proverbial shield of muscle around his heart because he doesn't want to let anyone in there. So he builds the biggest chest and shoulders that he can. And uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love push-ups and <laughs> I love doing that, but it's the reason why you're doing these things. That's really important. And I think when some people think about self, um, self-work, they expect us to like meditate once or journal once or take one bath and then like everything's healed and it's easy. And I like to use the analogy of, of working out. It's like, you know, the first time that you journal or you do meditation or you do breath work or you do some, some softer practice that's going to bring up some type of emotion, it's going to be really uncomfortable. You might feel silly. And it's just like the person who's going into the gym for the first time. They don't really know how to do the exercises. They might just be following some program. They're going to feel a little bit awkward. Um, it takes a lot of practice to get comfortable in these type of things. And uh, it's the same thing with these like working in practices. And um, when I usually explain that to people, it kind of helps take some pressure off and uh, makes it a little bit easier to continue that marathon of, of work, which is really never ending. And how does that relate into necessarily feeling that in the body? Like how can that, how can creating and, and stepping into these softer practices help first in what you feel within the body and then help you into your goals. Because if someone's like, well, I just want to get strong. So I don't understand how journaling and sitting and breathing is going to actually help me. Or on the flip side too, if like someone's like, well, I'm just in pain. I just need someone to rub it out and then I'll get better. Like, why do I need to do all these softer practices? Yeah. I mean, there's certain areas of the body that are um, linked with certain emotions and certain things that are happening in your life. So 
a lot of times I'll work with people who um, don't really feel like they're on stable ground. They feel like the world's changing or they're not in a relationship they want or like the, the ground's slipping out from underneath them. And we'll do a lot of lower body, like grounding exercises, like squats or deadlifts or things like this. And it starts to bring up a lot of emotion because you're starting to push your body in a way that is activating some of these emotions. So to get back to your question, I think like you have to define what, what true strength really is for yourself. And, you know, when you're trying to get physically stronger, you're starting to push that edge as much as you can without going towards injury or going too far. And if you're not able to listen to your, your thoughts on where that edge is, because you don't have a practice of listening to yourself and working on that through journaling, meditation or whatever, then it's going to be harder to find where that edge is. And you're going to do what I call checking the boxes. Whereas you're like, I don't get why I can't do a handstand. Like I checked all the boxes, but you're missing the most important aspect of it, which is presence and focus. And you can't train those through just grinding away like a hamster on a treadmill. You have to really practice that by slowing down. That is so beautiful. And so when we start to implement, implement different practices like this, like, like anything, it's not easy. And like you said, you know, we can check the boxes and say, hey, I did it for a week and it didn't work. Or some people may consider that they failed at this certain task. Like, oh, I keep saying should and I can't, I can't get away from it. You know, how do you help people approach when they have perceivably failed at implementing these things um, to keep them on that track? Yeah, well, I ask them, what did they fail at? And then just get really clear with what the goal is. Because the goal is usually to just start to become aware. And now, even if you're doing a should fast, for example, and you maybe use the word should a few times during the week, you're, you, you've reached your goal because you're practicing your awareness of that. The goal isn't to just completely eliminate it no matter what, and you're never going to use it again. You've been using it for X amount of years that you've been alive, and now you're just going to change it in one week. It's like that doesn't necessarily make the most sense. Like that's not practical. So starting to become aware of it and then starting just to get a little bit better than you were the week before and then the week before that. And then you continue to grow. So you can kind of see yourself um, on a trajectory of going in the way that you want to go. And you set up really like crazy physical goals for yourself as well, um, which again, someone can just scroll through your page and see <laughs> some of the things that you do. But you also talk about the different like goals and challenges and usually physical goals that you want to achieve. So if someone is on that journey of achieving all those physical goals or different setting up different goals within their body, usually it's aesthetics, right? And they're feeling like they're failing. How do you coach people into riding those waves of failure? And what does that mean along the journey? Uh, let's see. There's a couple ways I want to go with this one. It's not, um, I try to get people to, if they're focused aesthetically, we try to focus on why they're focused aesthetically. And usually the reason is they think if they look a certain way, then they're going to have more confidence or more value, or they're, they're going to attract someone or they're going to feel better about themselves or whatever. And I just ask, and I do a lot of this thinking myself, like, is that the best way to, to get, to gain confidence by just maybe having a six pack or whatever. And what I found is it's not, I know a lot of people with amazing bodies who are not happy at all. 
And um, I strive people to focus on how they feel. And then the, usually when you're focusing on how you feel, it doesn't matter what it is that you look like because you're going to be feeling great. So, you know, that's a tougher concept because you can't look in the mirror and see how you feel, um, which is where the journaling comes in because you can write it down and you can track that. Uh, you know, I, I felt really great today because I did X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. Not sure if that kind of go. It's kind of tough. Like, I really I don't like talking. I don't <laughs> like training people for aesthetics um, or even talking about it too much just because I feel like it pushes people in a different direction. And, and I know that most people come in because they want to look better. But once they start to think about why they want to look better, and then is that the best way to go there? usually their goals start to change and then we can start to get to the work that is going to really benefit them. I think the main point is that you just get right back around to that why mm-hmm. and you start asking that why question. And I mean, I'm sure if it ever goes back around the aesthetics, you kind of redirect into the why. And mm-hmm. if we can keep people in that space, then it makes a lot more sense. And then the aesthetics makes you a lot more happy if that ever is where you eventually get because you probably achieved another goal too. And even when we yeah. talk about that, like in as physical therapists too, when we talk about what people's goals are in terms of getting out of pain, I think it also goes back to, well, why do you want to get out of pain? Because some people, especially chronic pain, it becomes part of your life. And if you don't know what life looks like outside of the pain, or it's become wrapped into events and circumstances and people who support you, it could be a really hard thing. And us as physical therapists, we do the same thing, continuing to ask questions, continuing to try to dive a bit deeper. And I think hopefully people start to take that out of listening to your story and and listening to how you coach people. Um, But what do you kind of recommend that someone start with at least right now? Like say, okay, I haven't even been thinking about these little like journaling practices or why that would be important. What do you recommend people just start with? Just start to, you know, whether it's steps, whether it's a practice, whether it is a mindset shift or whatever it may be, like where can someone start to dive into themselves? Yeah. So I'll give two really practical things um, that you can do right off the bat. Um, One would be a gratitude practice that I love. And I know that, um, you know, I probably say the word gratitude journal and you get a lot of eye rolls because there's so many of these, um, so much out there with that. But the one that I love is called the four W's and you write down three things, um, each day. And the four W's are what went well and why. And the why is really critical because you start to gain ownership over the positive things in your life. Um, so that's one that I like to do every day. Um, and then the second one is taking a hot bath. And for me, taking a hot bath without my phone, maybe light some candles. Um, and I come into the bath usually with a question on why. It's usually a why, que- why question. Like, why did I do the thing? Why did I do something today? Or why did I act this way? Or why did I snap at this person Um, and I just really let the the hot water and the salts and everything kind of melt away all of my, um, bullshit answers more or less that I'll try to give to it and try to get to the root question. And I just keep asking myself why and why and why and why, and it, and you know, the years just keep 
rewinding back and back and back and back. And then I start to develop a more awareness with the actions I do every day. You know, this is what I always say, but I love that. And it's because I got my truth bumps when you said both of those things, because they very closely reflect personal practices of mine. And in the past week and a half or so, when things have gotten a bit crazy in life, I've been taking a hot bath every night (laughs) with something or the other. And I turn the lights off and I play some soft music and I sit in there and I would would second that, that it has been so, so helpful for me to continue to dive into why. Mm -hmm. And keep asking those questions. How do I feel? Why? What do I want? Why? You know? So thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're bringing all the knowledge, man. This is amazing. So um, we have been so fortunate to have you on here. I would love to talk for another half an hour about all the things that you do. Um, But we're going to kind of wrap up here. And I'd love to share where people can find out more about you, more about um, the programs and stuff that you have. Is there any sort of program that someone out there could join if they're interested in starting to dive in some of these things? Yeah, totally. So I have a website, it's mikeidella.com. And uh, I have an online handstand course if you want to learn handstand. I, I love teaching handstand because it, you can't just muscle your way through bouncing a handstand in the middle of the room. It forces you to slow down and confront a lot of these practices and kind of look at yourself. So uh, there's a whole course on, on there and then also have an online um, wellness app where people can uh, log in and it's $30 a month and um, you get different journaling prompts each day and all, a lot of these wellness type practices. So it can be kind of hard because um, you don't really know where to start. But if I equate it to training programs, it's like, I'm going to give you the sets and the reps for your working in practices. Mm, um, and then I, I work one-on-one with people as well. And all that information's on that website. Perfect. And we'll link all of that up, obviously, in the show notes. So you guys can check that out more. But if you haven't already, like, go follow him, <laughs> Mike.Idella. <laughs> um, it's just you share so much wisdom through your posts as well. It's not just like, oh, cool, look at the things that he could do with his body. But it's a lot of wisdom that he's sharing in almost every single post. So I really appreciate what you're bringing as a man in this space, mm-hmm. I know you and I get to have like deep dive, long conversations uh, whenever we see each other. And I just, I appreciate that you are truly have been an example for men in my life and um, friends in my life and your support and your openness and your vulnerability. Um, I just deep, deep appreciation for who you are, Mike, besides just the really cool handstands. <laughs> Yeah, the 315-pound oh, overhead squat. One arm was pretty cool, too. Uh, thanks, guys. I love you both, and I, I see the same thing in both of you, and uh, I'm so blessed and, and grateful that uh, you're in my life. Thank you. All right, guys, go check him out. Uh, Mike, we get to do another handstand competition when you get back. <laughs> we see who wins this time. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, well, we'll talk to you soon. I'm sure we'll have you back on because there's just so much knowledge and mm-hmm. wisdom that you that you hold. So thank you again, and I can't wait to chat soon. Same here. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to us on the Optimal Body Podcast, where we're going to continue to bring you the PT pearls and guests that will help you find your optimal body. Now, head over to wherever you listen to this and leave us an honest review and head to docgenfit.com backslash podcast where you can find all the show notes. 
Don't forget that we're going to give away a free month to someone who subscribes, leaves us an awesome review, and lets us know what they want to review on the next PT Pearl. So we'll be choosing that once a week to get into a free month of the Optimal 